Heaven, thank you for the technology. I know that uh, our worship leader was not feeling well and found it safer to just do video this week and to just be away in order to protect others. And Lord, that's just the environment that we live in today. But we want to thank you that we could still worship together as a church, both in person and online. And Lord, thank you for that technology. And thank you that we're reminded again of your faithfulness, that you are good, that each and every day, every breath that we take is granted by your grace. And as we gather together today, for this short period of time, in the midst of the weeks that each and every one of us live, we're just thankful that we can set aside the things of this world and focus on you. Lord, I want to pray today for someone here this morning who needs to hear how good you are, how faithful you are, that you can indeed touch their life. It may be a believer who's been a believer for a long time who needs to be reminded, or it's someone that's new to the faith But Lord, we pray that your word would hold power today, that your spirit would touch someone's heart, that your presence would be felt and known for someone today. So Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that indeed you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, wonderful. Nice to have you here this morning. And we're starting a brand new series. We're starting a brand new series called Only Jesus. And it's a series that we're going to look at a number of stories, you know, from the New Testament. And they're going to be stories that reveal to us the difference that only Jesus can make. So I want to, I want to start this morning by asking you a question. What is more important What is more important, your physical life or your spiritual life? Now, don't answer that out loud, okay? What's more important, your physical life or your spiritual life? Now, if you want to be politically correct, most of us are going to say our spiritual lives. Or we're going to say our spiritual life and our physical life are interconnected. Like, there's no, there's no difference. There should be this, you know, communion between the two. But can I just uh, challenge you this morning to ask you to just look deep, deep inside of you and to say, you know, there are times in my life where I feel the tension between my spiritual life and my physical life. That what is happening in my world is just feels more real. It pulls at me in, in a way. And my spiritual life can kind of feel like an abstraction. It can kind of feel like it doesn't exist. It kind of feels like it's not there. Or it, it feels like I can easily put it to the background or easily put it behind me or easily invest in it at a later time because what is happening in the real world and the physical world for me right now is, is exactly what it feels like, real and personal. And there's times in our lives where we can feel like God is really distant and things are happening. 
And the physical world kind of takes over the spiritual world. And it kind of drives our priorities. And we've all been there in one way or another. How many of us have said, well, you know, something's going on in my life and I'm not just going to go to church today? Okay? We've, we've all been there. We felt the pull of the physical and it's easy to set aside the spiritual. And yet we know that if you were to, you know, survey each and every one of us, we're going to say that our spiritual world is more important. And yet the reality is, is that when push comes to shove, our physical world is going to take over our spiritual world. And that's just what happens for most of us. But today we're going to, you know, start in with that entire question looking at a particular story in, in, in the Gospel of Mark that's going to kind of bring these two tensions together and bring them in a way that I hope helps us to realize that in the world of Jesus, in, in, at, at a time when we recognize that, you know, when Jesus was walking this earth, he touched people in very real ways. He healed them. He touched them. He moved them in ways that was just unbelievable. And yet for Jesus, the spiritual was always at the forefront of what he was doing in the lives of people. And if Jesus is so important for each and every one of us, then I think it's important for us to recognize the things that were important to Jesus should be important to us as well. So I'm asking again, what is more important? The physical or the spiritual? And are there times where you push out the spiritual reality of your life because there's something happening in the physical realm that is taking precedence? over your spiritual life. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 2, uh, a really beautiful story as the gospel of Mark is essentially getting started. And I want to read the first few verses of chapter 2 out of Mark. And it reads like this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. So obviously from this particular passage, the popularity of Jesus has, has skyrocketed. Um, you know, the word got out that Jesus is back to his hometown. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, now notice the place is packed and Jesus is preaching the word to them, okay, which is really significant. It's, it's, he's speaking, you know, words of life into this crowd and it's significant that he's doing that and not, not you know, he's actually preaching. He's not touching people. He's not, you know, um, you know healing people. He's not doing, doing that. He's basically the sage on the stage as the room is, as this house is crowded 
with people listening to him. Okay? So he's, while he's preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man down on his mat, right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiveness, forgiven. Now, this seems like a really strange story. You know, no one would dig into the roof of our house without a lot of screaming and yelling. Okay, can we just say that? And a lot of, you know, a lot of machinery going on. Okay, but in this time and in this, you know, day and age, you know, houses were a little different. So I just want to give you a, a bit of background on that. They would have a slightly sloping roof uh, consisting of wooden beams overlaid with matting of reeds, palm branches, and dried mud. Uh, there were usually stone steps on the outside of the house that you could get up on the roof, you know, and, and be able to, to be up there. And it wasn't too hard to just dig with your hands, you know, through the, the mud and, and the reeds and to be able to do that without causing a lot of damage. And in fact, you had to re-roll the roof every year before the winter rains. That was just what, um, what happened. So it's it, it would have been very easy for these four men to bring their friend up there and to dig a hole and to bring it. Probably mud got on people, who knows, and stuff like that. Okay? But Mark tells us that when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, you know, your sins are forgiven. The way that Jesus saw their faith was in their actions. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes we, 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 we treat faith as this, this thing that we believe or this thing that we have. It's not often expressed in the things that we do or how we live out our lives. But Jesus, the actions that these men took demonstrated their faith in who the person of Jesus was. They had to get their friend to see Jesus. Real faith in Jesus is always going to produce some kind of work, some kind of action, some kind of you know, motivation that's going to honor him. And these men had their faith at work. Another thought comes from Hebrews 11.6. You know, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. These men that brought the man paralyzed on this mat demonstrated their faith. They were examples of what faith is and what faith does. And we see how Jesus responds to their faith. Now, the, the last thing you would have expected as this man is lowered down is for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. Why doesn't Jesus say, listen, you know, you're paralyzed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal you right here and now. Why is it that the thing that Jesus does first and foremost is, is say, your sins are forgiven? You see, at the time, everybody that would have been in that room, there was unfortunately this this understanding at the time, and it was even taught by the rabbis, 
that if there was, if you had some sort of a physical ailment, it had to be because of, of a sin that was in your life. Or if there was something wrong with you, or there are things that were happening in your life, it was happening in your life because there was some sin that God was punishing you for. And that's just the expectation that that crowd would have had. And it's almost as if Jesus recognized that expectation that the crowd would have had, and Jesus deals with it right away and says, your sin is forgiven. It also tells you that, you know, Jesus, you know, prophetically knows what's happening in that person's life, than to just wash it away. Now, we've got to make something clear. Physical difficulties do not always mean sin in your life. Even though that's an assumption that many make. That's called the theology of retribution, by the way. Okay? But Jesus is dealing with that right away because that's what they would have presumed. That's what they would have thought. It is merely showing Jesus recognizing the assumption of the crowd and dealing with it right away. I think Jesus is aware of the person's sin, you know, makes that forgiveness right away. So faith here is linked to action, active trust in Jesus that he is sufficient for all needs. And the fact of the matter is the forgiveness of sin is the paralytic's greatest burden and greatest need. I asked you earlier, what is more important, your physical life or your spiritual life? Anybody witnessing what was happening in that moment would have thought the greater need would have been the physical need. That's not what Jesus deals with. Jesus deals with the spiritual need first and foremost. I want to keep reading. Here's verse 6. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is this? Like, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can do that. That this is blasphemy. When Jesus forgave the man, the teachers of the law obviously didn't like it. And, it, and, and for good reason, can we just say that it's for good reason? How can a mere man forgive sins? Something that only God had the authority to do. And do you realize in that day and age, what is the punishment for blasphemy? The punish, punishment for blasphemy is stoning. And it would have been legitimate. For Jesus to tell this man that his sins are forgiven is assuming that Jesus has the same divine authority that God has himself. It is the same divine authority. Let's keep reading. Verse 8 says, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Here's the question. 
Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, which is the spiritual part, right? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. That's the physical side. What's easier? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. What is easier? Your sins are forgiven, or pick up your mat and walk. Now, I, I really found this really interesting because, you know, between commentators, there, you know, it, it landed everywhere, you know, as I, as I sought to get kind of advice from other, you know, uh, commentators about this particular passage. A lot of them said, you know, you can't tell if your sins are forgiven. You know, that's something between you and God. When Jesus says your sins are forgiven, how is anybody going to know that as a tangible proof that your sins indeed are forgiven when Jesus says that? Because how do you, how do you know that? That's, that's between you and God. How can you tangibly understand that as being the fulfillment and the taste that forgiveness? Where in the physical realm, you can see when a leg is totally fixed or a person is totally healed and they get up and they walk away. But Jesus links the two together. Jesus takes both of these and links them together. And he says to the, you know, the religious leaders, to show you that I have the power and the authority to forgive sin, I'm going to tell this person to get up and walk. I don't know about you. That's pretty powerful. You see, in that, in that culture, they would have known that if a prophet isn't speaking the truth, you would quickly recognize it. If Jesus didn't heal the man, it would have been a revelation to the people that Jesus did not have the authority to do it. It would have revealed to them right away that Jesus was just talking hot air. Because in their minds, they would have remembered what Moses way back in Deuteronomy said. Deuteronomy, you know, Moses wrote this, if a prophet speaks to the Lord in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message. The prophet has spoken without any authority and need to be feared. And notice how Jesus talked about, I have the authority. And for the religious people in that room, in that time, they would have remembered and, and known about the words of Moses, saying, if he does have the authority, he's going to have to do something to show it and to prove it here in the moment. And of course, Jesus simply says to the man, get up and walk. And he does. Here's the, here's the last verse of that particular story. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned outlookers. 
onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And everybody in the room said, neither have we. (laughs) We would love to see that, wouldn't we? Okay. He jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. Now, I got to tell you, it almost sounds like even the religious leaders are stunned. And even the religious leaders are, are, you know, amazed. And notice what the reaction is. They praised God. They praised God. And we've never seen anything like this before. Now, I, 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 I'm going to... I'm going to veer a little bit. This, this passage has always spoken to me in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a way that maybe doesn't speak exactly the same way to you. But I've, I'm, I'm struck very much that the crowd praised God because of what they had just witnessed. Now, we know it's a miraculous event. We know it's this beautiful picture. We know it's a story only Jesus in the end. But I often wonder how many times in our own lives, as believers, do we do something in a way that causes other people to praise God? That's a hard question, isn't it? How many times has the church done something where the reaction of the people involved in that church Praise God. I I tell you, that's a really intimidating question. That this is such an event, that this is such an important um, experience for these people, that the only reaction they can have, the only thing that, that they can respond is to praise God. I'm sure they had lots of nice things to say about Jesus and were really impressed with the person of Jesus. But the outworking of this particular story is to point people to God. Is to remind people of the greatness of God. That only God could have done this. I don't know about you, but it's very intimidating in a church to think that people come every Sunday, whether it's in person or online, and they come seeking God, and all they get is me. Uh, that twenty dollars paid off. Eh? <laughs> you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Only Jesus, right? Do we, in our own lives, do the work of Christ and be the hands and feet of Jesus so that whatever we do, whenever we demonstrate our faith, whenever we, you know, we, we experience something you know, for other people, that the response they come with is praising God? You know, that's... 
you know, in, in my own life, in my own heart, the thing that I hope the most is that whatever we do, we point people towards Jesus first and foremost, and not to us, not to, you know, we've got this cool band, <laughs> which is all on video, <laughs> you, you know, we, we've got, you know, it's, it's, it's not about any of that other stuff. It's about people responding and praising God because their, their experience is something that makes them say, only Jesus could have done this. And we don't have the power to forgive sin. But we have the power to point people to the one that does. And that's, and that's the heart of what it means to be a church. That we point people in the direction of Jesus. Because only Jesus can make the difference in their life. Of all the, you know, of, of all the, the wonderful aspects of this story that, that moves me the most, it's the reaction of the crowd that has always made this story so meaningful to me. And yet, it's probably not the aspect of the story that maybe you were looking at. But I love the fact that they praised God afterwards. This last point that I want to make is that the story of the paralytic is a picture of Jesus' ability and authority to heal spiritual paralysis. In, in some way, whether you're a believer here or not, or you're just wondering about this whole spiritual thing, or if you're wondering about you know, religion and all those kinds of things, Jesus is the one that can heal whatever spiritual paralysis you're experiencing in your life. We just point you in that direction. And that's what this story is so wonderfully illustrative of, is the person of Jesus and the difference he made in that paralytic's life. Yeah, are there times where, you know, um, it's great to be healed physically? Abs absolutely. You know, you can't, you know, you, you can't, you know, many, many of you know our older son had leukemia, okay? And many of you prayed for him. And, you know, to date, he's clean. To date, he's clean. You know? And as wonderful as that is, we know his spiritual life needs to be healed as well. Right? And it's wonderful when it works together like that, when the spiritual life and the physical life come together. But for Jesus, it's always going to be healing you spiritually first and foremost. 
And we know that they're connected. We know that there's this, this relationship between the two. And we know that there's, you know, that, you know, to be healthy spiritually lends itself to being healthy physically. We know that. Even statistically, we, we know that. Okay? You know? I, I, uh, I, I used to work for an outside agency that, uh, you know, I was just a, a marriage official. And I remember marrying many couples who were not really part of the church. And I would ask every single one of them, is this a spiritual exercise that the two of you are going through? You know, you're not church people, you're not believers, you know, all that stuff. But do you believe that this is a spiritual exercise that the two of you are going through? And not a single couple, and I, I've performed probably, you know, uh, over a thousand marriages in, in my years. And not one couple has ever said, this is not a spiritual exercise at all. Every single one of them said, this is a deeply spiritual exercise. We all recognize it. We all recognize it. Do you realize that the same word in the Bible for salvation is also the same word used for healing? That when you become a person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there's a wholeness to it. There's a oneness to it. There's something that happens where you experience the love of God in a really powerful, powerful way. That you become something much more than our limited human experience is by itself. When you become empowered by the Spirit of God, you become more than your human limitations. What is more important, the physical or the spiritual? And have you taking care of the spiritual as Jesus demonstrated in this story and became an example of what it meant to be a person who lives by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this story is one of many that we have in the Gospels of Jesus. And Lord, it's so illustrative of the tension that many of us experience when it comes to our spiritual selves and our physical selves. But Lord, I thank you that Jesus can take care of both, but the spiritual is the most important. And Lord, for anyone here who is wrestling with their understanding of the spiritual life and what it means to follow Jesus, Lord, I pray that you be speaking into their heart this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, for anyone who has not made a decision to follow Jesus, that I pray that you would open up their heart to you today. 
And Lord, I pray that for those of us that are believers, that this would have been a great reminder that there are times in our lives where we have this tension between the physical and the spiritual. And that, Lord, we can feel ourselves being pulled apart by those two realities. And yet, Lord, I pray that through your Spirit, you would draw us back to yourself back to health of our spiritual selves so that we can experience the physical life fully healed by your hand. And we thank you. In Jesus' name this morning, amen.